0: When you and I begin to say, how can we become all things to all people? My wife asked me in preparation for today, does that mean like, I have to spend time with all these people I don't like? Because I'm a mom of three. I don't have time to spend with all these people I don't like. My time is very stressed. Becoming all things to all people doesn't mean you have to make everybody your greatest priority. But it does mean those who you have chosen to make the ones you love and your greatest priority You need to set aside your own opinions, and your own rights, and your own preference to show them just how much Jesus loves them. And if we do this, I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, we will be better.
1: Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay. Because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.
0: I'm excited for that work day at the coalition because they are a wonderful partner that we have been partnering with for the last two years. In fact, five people from the community coalition, uh, staff and their spouses, uh, came and joined us yesterday here to help us uh, make this space a little nicer. And I'm excited to return the favor and to say, hey, we're glad you're here We're glad you're in this community fighting for this really important thing. Uh, Also for communion, because it was kind of hidden on the bottom of that video, I'll let you know, uh, everybody's welcome this Wednesday night at 6.30 to communion here. And if you can't be here on Wednesday night, let me know and I will find a time to help you get communion uh, at another time, all right? I want you to experience that gift of God uh, this week if you desire it. Now, we are in the middle of a series called The Art of Neighboring. As a church, we are learning to love our neighbors well. Two weeks in, anybody do something new to try to love your neighbors? Okay, a couple of you. Well done. For the rest of you, this series is not just things we learn and say, that's good. It's things we learn and then we begin to do. And so I I believe more of you have tried to love your neighbor than you're probably willing to let on, but just in case you haven't, this week is a good opportunity to try it again. I find that loving our neighbors is sometimes really simple and sometimes really difficult, and sometimes it actually blows up in our face and makes a big mess. Have you ever had that happen to you? All the time for me. I'm really good at opening my mouth and inserting my foot. Like if that was a professional sport, I would at least get paid something, I promise. But we are trying to love our neighbor and sometimes it's really hard. The first week we looked at uh, what does it mean to love our neighbor and I said, here's what you should do, start with humility. Practice humility, recognize that you don't know everything and it's not all about you. And it's okay to say you're sorry and you forgot their name. Also do something tangibly good for others. Now, for several weeks, we've been picking up trash here around this space on Thursday mornings, and what we're noticing is two things. One, uh, more and more no- uh, neighbors are thankful that there's less trash. And two, more and more people are recognizing that this is a place they can dump their trash because it's going to be picked up. Uh, so if you need a mattress or a box spring or even the back seat of your car, we have them in the back there. Uh, we found them over the last few weeks, and you can take them home or to the dump at your choosing. Last week, we looked at this real tough question. If we're called to love our neighbor, who is our neighbor? See, the truth is every one of us on some capacity wants to say, I've done enough. I've tried enough. I've loved enough. I'm good. I don't need to love that neighbor or that person or that coworker or employer or that whoever we fill in the blank. right. And yet, when Jesus was asked this very tough question, who is my neighbor? He tells a fictitious story of this man who's beat up and left for dead. And two people, a priest and then a Levite, who were supposed to be the ones setting the example and leading the way, ignored him in his pain. But a Samaritan, this man who was thought to be his enemy, comes and helps And Jesus asks the question, who was a neighbor? And the man testing Jesus responds, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus responded, good, go and do likewise. When it comes to loving our neighbor, we have to recognize there are people we think don't deserve it who need our love anyway. And this can be really challenging and sometimes can ask more than you and I are willing to give or even think we're capable of giving. So today we're going to ask this question. If we're supposed to love all people who are hurting, all people who have a need, all people who need God's grace and mercy, how do we do that? Right? Like it's really easy to say, of course we should love everybody. Everybody love everybody, right? But how? The Apostle Paul, he writes in the book of Corinthians a really challenging way that you and I should begin to love everybody. Now, if you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always known as Paul. Uh, The Apostle Paul, before he was known as Paul, was known as Saul. And Saul was a terrible dude who hated Christians. Like so much so that he got permission to travel from city to city, capturing Christians and throwing them in prison and when possible, putting them to death. And then he encountered Jesus and Jesus changed everything. And when he encountered Jesus, his eyes were opened to see that what he was doing was against the very God he thought he was supporting. And he had to change his ways and do things differently. And this apostle, this man, went from that place of being this broken, really terrible murderer to this man who went from community to community planting churches and telling people this good news of Jesus. Jesus isn't just some figure that we look to as a good teacher. He's not just some really kind guy that we can say, man, I like that dude, Jesus. He's not just somebody we arbitrarily say we believe in. Jesus is worth everything. And if we want to love Jesus, we have to love one another. So Paul, in this letter to the church in Corinth, he's writing because he has a dear affinity for them. They are people he knows personally. He's been there in the past. He's spent time with them, and he loves them, and he sees that this church is broken by all kinds of problems. And so throughout the letter, he tries to address some of the problems and help the church see Jesus clearly. Now, one of the problems, in order to understand it a little more clearly, uh, I'm going to put it in some different words here in a moment. But this is the problem in chapter 8 he's talking about. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, the challenge that is facing the people in Corinth is what do we do with meat sacrificed to idols? Anybody in here regularly sacrifice meat to idols? Okay, so we're all in the same boat. Anybody ever done it in the past? I didn't think so. Now, somebody might. It's possible. It still happens today. It is still a thing today. But to understand where he's going with this, you have to know just how important meat sacrificed to idols is. In the Old Testament for the Jewish people, meat sacrificed to idols was considered to be an absolute abomination because if you're sacrificing it to this God, this object of your worship, you are saying, I want to give everything here to that God. And anybody who partakes in eating of that meat and eating that thing that was sacrificed is declaring, I also want to give everything to that God. Do you see how this could be a big problem? In the culture that was filled with all kinds of pagan worship, these Christians who used to worship other gods and other idols are now trying to figure out how do we worship this God and how do we do so correctly? And they're torn because for a long time their life was centered around the sacrifice of meat to idols and their livelihood was centered around that. Because if you wanted to throw a big party, what you would do to get God's blessing on that party is you would throw a big party and take an animal and sacrifice it and a portion of that animal would go to the idol, to the God you're worshiping, and a portion would be reserved for your party. And so your guests, when you invited people over to feed them, ate meat sacrificed to idols. And it was dishonoring to say no and dishonoring to reject it And it would actually cause a lot of social problems to not participate in the meal when you were invited. And now the church is torn because as they're worshiping this new God, they're recognizing what do we do with our old ways, our old customs, our old practices? How do we live in this world that doesn't see things the way we see things, that doesn't believe the way we believe? How do we live in this world and be true to what we believe? Certainly a question we still have to ask today. Now imagine this scenario today. Uh, College football is something I really enjoy. I'm really hoping we get to see some of it in some capacity this fall. But imagine being here in Knoxville, you really are only supposed to support the Vols, right? Like you might have other teams, but everybody knows here in Knoxville, go Vols. And imagine being a Vols fan and choosing to go to a gator tailgate and put on a gator jersey or even worse, Alabama. What do you do in this world, right? Like we have these idols we've created, these things we worship. We're not sacrificing meat to them, though you could maybe say all of our tailgates are kind of sacrifices of meat to the God that we're worshiping in prayer and hope that our team wins, right? The blessing of the divine football gods may come upon us if we've only had enough ribs or hot dogs or hamburgers or all three. Imagine going to one of those tailgates and not putting on the Gator jersey or the Bama jersey. Then what? They're in this dilemma of how do we honor this and also honor the God we serve. Now, a big difference is, as much as we love the Vols or hate the Vols and love the Gators, whoever we root for, I think very few of us actually believe if we put on a Gator jersey, the God of the Vols will smite us. But they believed that in this culture. If they worshipped the wrong God or they didn't worship the right gods, a plethora of gods, they would actually receive physical, painful punishment. Paul, he writes, and he says, we know that meat sacrificed to idols is really nothing. This is what I want to say to you. We all possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs us up. Now, to understand this, in the very beginning of the letter, he writes about this thing called logos, or the word, this word of truth. The people in Corinth really valued uh, the eloquence of somebody's speech. They, they really valued how well somebody could reveal this hidden secret knowledge. And so Paul is kind of making fun of the community. Hey, we know that we all have this knowledge, right? In fact, if you read in the Bible, it's actually in quotation marks. Like we all have this special understanding, but all of our special understanding, it only puffs us up. It only makes us more full of ourselves, more set apart as you guys are over there and we are over here. Nobody with special knowledge does that in our culture today, do they? I know more than you do, so I must be better than you. If only you were like me in what you did or didn't wear, how you did or didn't act, then the world would be better, right? This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. To love our neighbor, we need to recognize that anything that is not building up our neighbor is not loving them, period. He continues then, he describes that meat sacrificed to idols is really nothing, it's no big deal because we know idols are fake. So you can sacrifice that meat, you can eat that meat, it doesn't really matter. Now for a man who grew up as the most devout Jew of all the Jews, a man who gave his whole life to pursuing the right godly thing, for him to say that meat sacrificed to idols means nothing is a total 180, complete change. Because his whole life he was told this means something. This is really important. And now he says, no, it's not. Compared to Jesus, beside Jesus, with Jesus before us, none of that matters. But then we get to verse 9. He says this But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. He says, Look, we all have the right to do these things because we know meat is nothing and the idols are nothing. We can eat and drink however we want and it doesn't matter. You could put on a Bama jersey and it's still okay. I promise, all right? He says, look, it doesn't really matter because we know that they're no big deal, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In our culture today, we love to celebrate the rights of individuals. A couple weeks ago, uh, our message was about how you and I don't actually have rights. If you didn't hear that message and me saying that phrase catches you off guard and you're like, whoa, hold on, Uh, just go back. I think it was the 4th of July weekend. You can listen to it online. Uh, But here he says, look, if you want to celebrate your rights, just make sure you don't put a stumbling block before somebody else. Now, real quick, before we continue and our culture that celebrates our rights to do whatever you please, and that always talks about my individual rights, don't take them from me, how often do our rights become a stumbling block for our neighbor? A thing that trips them up and causes them concern, a thing that actually puts a division between us and them and says, I'm right and you're wrong, you should just be more like me. Does that happen today in our country and our culture? Paul warns, be careful that these rights of yours don't become a stumbling block. He continues then and he describes this reality that they need to seek to love their weaker brother. If a brother has a problem with food sacrificed to idols, honor that brother by not eating that meat. In fact, he goes on at the end of this, he says, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul, says, we know that eating meat means nothing. It's really not that big of a deal. But if it's a big deal to my brother, I won't do it. If it's gonna cause a problem for them, I won't do it. Take for a moment, a second to think. How many fights and arguments and how much division and how much hatred for your brother would be avoided if we all chose to think like this? If it causes my brother to stumble, I won't do it. Take alcohol, for example. I enjoy a good craft beer. I even enjoy some bad craft beers, I'll be real. I enjoy having a nice glass of whiskey from time to time. But if you are somebody who struggles with addiction or have said you struggle with alcohol, I'm not going to invite you over to my house and have a drink with you. I might invite you over to my house and choose to drink iced tea, it's also delicious. I don't want to put anything before you as a stumbling block. So if you are somebody who doesn't eat gluten, even though I do, or you don't eat meat, even though I do, or you don't eat whatever, even though I might, if it's going to cause you undue burden, I'll change my diet for the time that we're hanging out. Not that big of a deal. Paul, he says, look, if I am causing my brother to stumble... I would rather stop doing the thing I'm allowed to do than create this division and turn them away from Jesus. And then he goes on. In chapter 9, he says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Look, you guys know who I am, Paul's saying. You know that I speak with authority. I've met Jesus personally. You know that Jesus himself has sent me with this message. Can't I do whatever I please? No. Then he continues in verse, uh, what is it? Verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Verse 15 but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. You see, he talks about how he actually is obligated. They are obligated by the law to pay for the message he's preaching, to help support him in his journeys of traveling. And Paul, he's like, look, this is like the food sacrificed to idols. If it causes a stumbling block, I don't want it. And he, he goes on, verse 15 But I have made no use of any of these rights, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. And then he continues a little bit later in verse 19, he says this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, this is the, the summary of it all. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I love that line of Paul's. Look, I know that there are some who are weaker than me and drinking alcohol is a problem. So for them, I won't drink alcohol with them. I know there are some who think eating certain foods is a problem. So for them, I won't do that. I know there are some who can't stand conflict And I'm a person who loves conflict. But when I'm around those people, I'm gonna do my best to not create conflict because it loves them. To all people, I become all things. This is what Paul says. Now I have to put a little pin in this and step aside. Paul is not saying that we should be fake and phony. He's not saying ignore who you are or what you hold true or stop being you. He's also not saying that we should indulge in sinfulness. I saw this floating around the uh, social media world the other day. Something along the lines of, remember Jesus sat with sinners, he didn't sin with them. To become all things to all people doesn't mean I need to begin to do the unhealthy things that you are doing so that I have a place to have a conversation. No, we still hold to what is good, always. But to become all things to all people means I look not to my own ambition. Say, what do you need to build a relationship, to strengthen this connection, to help you see Jesus in me? So, When I'm talking with some of our neighbors who live around here who are homeless, who are smoking and have all sorts of marks in their arms from all sorts of drugs they're still using, is that the place where I need to say, well, you should really stop killing yourself with these things? It could be. But maybe to become all things to them, I simply need to be a friend who listens to them. And it doesn't matter the habits and the hang-ups they're currently struggling through. For now, what they need is somebody to care about them. And later, I can help them with those habits and those hang-ups, maybe. Or perhaps to become all things to all people means if there's something you really enjoy that isn't sinful and I couldn't care less about it, like not to name names or anything, but NASCAR, right? (laughs) I know there are some of us here who love NASCAR and some, their spouses can't stand it. But to become all things to all people, maybe I say, let's sit down and watch NASCAR together. Because it's really not that important, but it helps build a relationship. And can I learn to love things I don't love, like Tennessee Vols? Yes. I can learn to love the Vols because I live in Knoxville. And Knoxville loves the Vols. To become all things to all people is not giving up who you really are, but it's recognizing who you really are is safe and secure in Christ. But who they are might not yet be. And so Paul says he becomes all things to all people in the hopes that he might save some. If I can choose to overlook the things that I don't like about you so we can build a relationship Or maybe the things I hold as important and you don't hold as important. If I can choose to set those aside and really get to know you, maybe some will come to see Jesus in me. If we want to love our neighbor, become all things to all people. So what does this practically look like? Well, before I got married, when I was still single, I had a 400 square foot apartment. Anybody ever lived in an apartment like that? It was one bedroom, really tiny, and it was great. And I just felt convicted that this one bedroom apartment was too big for one person. And so I decided I needed a roommate, so I went down to a shelter, not too unlike Carm, and I walked into the front desk, uh, and I said to the guy at the front desk, I have a room available, is there anybody who needs a place to live? I was standing at the homeless shelter asking such a dumb question. And the guy at the desk said, "You? Well, I do. And I'm 11 months sober, and I'm going back to school, and I'm almost done with this program. I need a place to live. And so I gave him my name and my number. And turns out, we had gone to high school together, and been in class together. But along the way, our lives had gone different directions. That his addiction led him nearly to the point of death twice, and it was only that second time that he said something needs to change, and he was ready to seek the help to overcome that addiction." And so we uh, built a really sketchy bunk bed. It was not safe in the slightest. Uh, think stepbrothers, but worse. And uh, he moved in with me. Now, he wasn't a Christian. And as such, his lifestyle, even a sober lifestyle, wasn't always things that I was comfortable with. And there were two rules we made in that apartment. Rule number one, no girl spends a night for either one of us. Rule number two, no hanky-panky, even if the other person's gone, all right? I said, if you can agree to these two things, I'm not gonna charge your rent, you can just live here, let's just agree to these two things. He said, okay, and that was that. But I quickly realized I wish I would've had some other rules. Anybody in here like coffee? Anybody take your coffee kind of seriously? Like you have some standard? Uh, not him. Uh, In overcoming his addiction, the place he began was just replacing it with a different addiction, with coffee. And he would drink, when he first moved in, three to four pots of coffee a day by himself. And what he would do is he'd take Folgers, which is not usually the best quality coffee, and he'd brew that coffee, and whatever he didn't drink, the next time he wanted coffee, he would pour it back into the coffee pot to re-brew new coffee. Microwaving is fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not above that. But pouring it back into the coffee pot. But I was convicted by this first to become all things to all people. Did that really matter in my love of Kyle? It mattered when I was drinking coffee. So I always brewed my own coffee. But it didn't matter in loving him. It also didn't matter that because he was in school, he had permission to use all of my stuff, including my stereo, and he would turn on his music that I didn't like until the wee hours of the morning, really loud, while he was studying. It was not my favorite time to be in the apartment. But you know what, Kyle needed me to say, I love you, and if listening to your music helps you focus on your school and helps you get out of this mess, Listen to your music, I'll find a way to get away with it, to make it work. To become all things to all people is to say, what can I do to remove any stumbling block that maybe in me they can see Jesus? So I'll sit down and I'll cheer for the gators, even if I don't want to. And I'll sit down and I'll let you listen to your terrible music as loud as you choose because it's good for you. And I'll just brew my own coffee to become all things to all people is to see that Jesus matters more than any of your preference or personality or opinion. And so we do whatever we can to make him shine through us. When you and I begin to say how can we become all things to all people? My wife asked me in preparation for today, does that mean like I have to spend time with all these people I don't like? Cuz I'm a mom of 3, I don't have time to spend with all these people I don't like. My time is very stressed. Becoming all things to all people doesn't mean you have to make everybody your greatest priority. But it does mean those who you have chosen to make the ones you love and your greatest priority. You need to set aside your own opinions and your own rights and your own preference to show them just how much Jesus loves them. And if we do this, I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, we will be better. If we become all things to all people, I don't care if you want to wear a mask or hate wearing a mask, we will be better. If we become all things to all people, we begin to look for opportunities to love And not divide. And maybe, maybe some will be saved. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you became all things to us. That you became flesh and blood. That you gave your life. That you suffered and died. That we might live. God, like Paul, may we see the things that don't really matter. And may we learn to set them aside to give up our preferences and our perspectives and our opinions for the sake of the gospel that some might hear that you love us and you have forgiven us and your grace is sufficient. God, I thank you that you became all things that we too might become all things. Make us secure in our identity that whatever we give up for the sake of our brother, we might find we gain more in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we're going to continue our worship with our time of offering, but I want to share a couple of stories with you real quick. Uh, Before we collect this offering, uh, two stories. One actually happened just this last Friday. Uh, Last week, Roger and I had a good time bashing social media and saying it's not always the healthiest. And Friday, I had the opportunity to see social media be a really healthy, cool thing. See, on Friday, one of the kids I used to work with for over a decade years ago, uh, who I started working with in seventh grade all the way through college, now he's a professor and he's a coach and like he's a full grown adult and I'm just, I feel like a dad. This kid, Alex, uh, went to get his hair cut on Friday and unlike me, his hair really matters a lot, so he has to have it styled just right. And the lady he normally had doing his hair wasn't there, so he had somebody new to do his hair. And in talking with her, came to realize that she had only started doing hair because it was her brother's dream to do hair. And her brother desired to do hair, but then got really sick and couldn't. So she went to cosmetology school, learned to do hair, to do it in honor of her brother and to help pay his medical bills. And Alex was moved by this and shared this story on social media and said, can anybody help? And in the course of just a couple of hours, uh, he went back right before they closed and gave her a $430 tip, entirely raised by people on social media who said, man, we want to play a part. Some of the people who gave, over 39 people gave, some of them he had never met before, and they just sent him some money on Venmo to encourage him and support the, the love he wanted to pour out. There's another story that happened about a year ago on Venmo, that I think is just funny, so I wanted to share it with you. And you might know this story. See, about a year ago, September 14th last year actually, uh, there was a guy at a college football game who was in a desperate position. He was out of beer money. You ever been there? And so he did what any rational thinking college guy would do, he asked for help. Uh, Check out this picture, all right? This is his sign that he held up on college game day and he said, please, send money. And within half an hour, he had received over $400 for beer from random strangers around the country. So, he decided he was going to buy one case of beer and donate all the rest to the local children's hospital. And this story blew up. And within a week, he'd received over a million dollars to donate to the local hospital just because he asked for beer money. And I love that story along with the story of my buddy because sometimes when it comes to giving, we can think, what good is my gift? What difference does my gift make? And both of these stories are individuals doing something for different motives and asking others, will you join me? And when others joined in, their little bit became a whole lot more. As we collect an offering today, we're not going to pass buckets. They're in the back. If you came prepared to give, you can give cash and check back there. But if you would like to give online, if that's how you came prepared to give, you can do so at thepointknocks.com. Whether your gift is small or really large, it doesn't matter. But when every one of us works together to say, God, use us and our finances in and through this place to go into the community and become all things for all people. When we do that, God does great things far beyond what we can imagine and what we can measure. So with that, uh, you can do that now online if you'd like or later when you leave in those popcorn buckets. But now I'm gonna invite Emily. Oh, she's over here. I'm gonna invite her for the Q&A. Every week we encourage you to ask questions and I do my best to respond. And uh, she's gonna ask the questions and now I'm gonna respond.
2: We have six questions this morning, actually. One of them came in, I'm going to do math, Friday. You guys don't know. It was Friday.
0: Um, Friday, this is the only question I did see in advance. All the rest, I'm like, I have no idea what's coming.
2: So, yeah, that question is, as a born-again believer, why should I read the Old Testament? Is it still relevant? How can I apply the Old Testament to my life since I am saved by grace through Christ's finished work on the cross? That's
0: a great question. So the Old Testament, sometimes we think old is bad, let's get rid of it. And we think the Old Testament is just this angry, judgmental God and the New Testament's this kind, loving God. Uh, Both testaments are about the same God. And so when we read the Old Testament, what uh, caused a lot of the Jewish people to go wrong in reading it and to miss Jesus when he came, is they were reading it through the wrong lens, thinking it was about how they could please God. But it's actually about what God has promised to do for us. And so as a Christian who believes in Jesus, you can look at the Old Testament and ask this question, where is God giving his grace to a people who don't deserve it? And when you ask that question, you'll see the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of really, really good stuff for you and me. Stories of God's abundant love over and over and over again. And stories of people just like you and me who really, really suck. And yet God loves them. It's pretty awesome.
2: Question number two Does the church have a need for pantry or grocery items to give to our neighbors around us?
0: Great question. Not at the moment. Uh, We have in the past put together little bags and things like that uh, where we could give some items away to people. Uh, When we do that next, we will have a need for items. In the meantime, we don't want to create a food pantry here because Volunteer Ministry Center and CARM and the Salvation Army and several others already in the neighborhood have some of these services available. So we're asking the question, what can we do to contribute to helping our neighbors that is currently missing? Let's not duplicate services, but try to do something to help what's already happening. So, at the moment, the answer is not right now.
2: This one's probably the most spiritual of the questions. Uh, make and model of the car back seat uh, that we found?
0: Old, beat up, and probably a minivan.
2: Cool. If that yeah. sounds like something you'd like to,
0: insert. I'll show it to you if you want. We can check it out. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. Um, okay. This one is. This is, this is more, more a comment but than a question, but worth talking about. People that have had a problem with alcohol are not weaker. I think that was said. Um, everybody has some sort of addiction, some kind of struggle, so that was
0: hurtful. That is a really good clarifier. Let me clarify, when Paul says my weaker brother, he's not saying like these people suck and are less than us. That is not what he says. Uh, every one of us is weak. Every one of us has a place of vulnerability. And so weakness is a place of vulnerability, not uh, you are less than others. So for those who have struggled with alcohol, they're not weak because they struggled. That is a vulnerability, a struggle they've had. Uh, So please forgive me, I will never say that addiction makes you weaker in the sense of you're less than others. It does mean you cannot overcome that on your own. If you've tried to overcome addiction on your own, you will not succeed. And I don't care if your addiction is alcohol or your addiction is gossip. We need a support network and a power bigger than ourselves being God himself to help us overcome those things. So no, you as someone or the people you know who have struggled with addiction are by no means weaker in the sense that they're less. In fact, it almost takes more strength to admit that you're struggling than it does to keep going as if you weren't. That's why here we say it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be a mess and to need help and to need others to love you through it.
2: Uh, I think we're on question number five. Uh, Do you think masks have become a stumbling block or barrier? If wearing a mask makes people feel safer and more welcome, would that make it the right thing to do, even if we have the right to not wear them?
0: Wow. <laughs> um, I'll answer the first question and then the second one, because there were two there. Have they become a stumbling block? Most certainly. We have elevated them to a place where you can almost determine political affiliation based on mask wearing preference, which is weird. Um, A study I read showed a 20-point favor for determining political affiliation, which is crazy. So yes, we've elevated them to a stumbling block. I've also had a conversation with somebody this week that I thought was really helpful. Uh, They said, I don't wear a mask because a mask creates a false sense of security. Most of these cloth masks we wear will not keep viruses in or out. They're not rated for that. That's why you see guys who are in those positions wearing super heavy duty masks. And so because masks can create a false sense of security, this person's perspective was if I wear one, I'm allowing people to feel more comfortable than they probably should feel with me. And that's why they choose not to wear it. And that was a perspective I hadn't thought about. So two, is it easier to just give up and wear it for the sake of our neighbor? The answer is, um, I don't know. As you see, I've been wearing one. If you have a beard and you wear a mask, it's a terrible feeling. Uh, Beards and masks are not fun together. I don't enjoy it, but I wear it because it gives a sense of security to others. And I don't know if it actually keeps people healthy. I'm not versed enough in science to say definitively yes or no. But I do know we live in a time where people are terrified and filled with anxiety. And if me wearing a mask can help them feel less anxious, to me it's worth it. And hopefully it also keeps them safe.
2: Last question. Um, So, why will people give to people but not directly to causes? That's
0: great. Uh, Why give to people, but not directly to causes? Like, are you thinking that's to give to people on the street or to give to, like, organizations, or what do you mean?
2: I am not the one who asked this, but I'm going to assume it is related to the Venmo
0: Oh, to that. Yeah, Yeah. perfect. So why would they give to that? Well, I think people would give to that first and foremost because it's funny. People love the idea of participating in something comical. So, you know, you send two bucks for the guy to get beer. Two dollars isn't going to buy him beer, but you're like, I did something, and then it blows up, and you're like, wow, I was a part of a really cool movement. We just have this knack where we want to be a part of that. Um, So I think that's one of the reasons. Um, I also think that there's a lot of really good organizations out there uh, that do a lot for causes and also have a lot of overhead. And there's a whole move of people who are disappointed by all the administrative excess that doesn't actually make a difference, or at least not directly. And so there are some who would rather give direct to cause or direct to person, and there are others who see that even those organizations are doing their best. Uh, Like here at The Point, we are constantly working to have fewer and fewer overhead expenses so we can give more and more to others. I know the community coalition is really, really diligent to say, how do we maximize every dollar to go to serving these women and these men who are in need of help? Um, so if you have questions about an organization, I think you should research it. You should study where do they spend their money? Is there a way you can help uh, change how they spend their money? And if not, maybe find a different cause or different organization that is actively making a difference. Uh, If any of these questions were yours and you want to talk more in depth about them, uh, I'm always available for coffee. Well, I'm always willing to become available for coffee or for a drink or for lunch um, let's sit down and talk more. I love you and love your questions and um, want you to only ever know that. Now, uh, we get to end. If there weren't any other questions, is that it? Nope. Oh, wait, there's one that I have forgotten for a few weeks. Uh, yes. So a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked, what's the difference between a christening and a baptism? And I totally forgot about it. I said I would look it up and come back, and then I didn't. So that just popped into my head. Yes. Uh, The short answer is some Christian denominations do a separate ceremony where they actively name the child before they do the baptism. So a christening is the naming of the Christian child. Um, This is also why in some um, parts of the world, when you become a Christian, you take a new name right, to to signify that you're like somebody different now. Why Saul became Paul and and so forth. Uh, For us, we don't do christenings, though if you want to, we can. We don't see them as the same value and uh, purpose as a baptism. Um, So they're not the same as a baptism, but sometimes they're smushed together and done at the same time is the answer. If you want to know more, come talk to me and I'll try not to forget. Uh, All right. Also, Godparents are uh, sponsors who are there to support the child in faith. That's what we do in this place as well. You're right. Now, What? Both of your daughters have godparents. That's wonderful. All of my kids do too. All right. Now, before you go, I want you to receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. As you guys go this week, go and know that you are loved and there are people who need your love as well.
1: Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.